Welcome to the Unmachine Yourself podcast, a podcast about the future of leadership. My name is Rowan van Voorst. I'm an anthropologist of the future, and I'm the science advisor at Hatch, a platform that helps individuals and companies become future-proof. Together, Hatch and I, we make this series. Why? Because we see that the world is changing quickly. We face societal transformation. And the mayor players in this field, we believe, might well be CEOs, innovators, leaders, people in resourceful corporations, or perhaps radically new type of organizations. I want to understand how these people drive the change. I'm not talking greenwashing or pinkwashing. I'm talking actual radical new ways of working. I'm talking the future of work. In this podcast, I get to speak with the frontrunners of this moment. Camara is social entrepreneur, community organizer, and diversity and inclusion advocate. The past 20 years, he has lived and worked in cities across Africa, the United States, and Europe. He has founded different startups, built nonprofit organizations, and played various leadership roles in community organizations. His latest founding is called OMEC, a professional platform designed to lift the African diaspora. And now you're here in the rainy Amsterdam studio of Hatch. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Um, that was a quite a good uh, introduction. I feel like, who's that Kimo? Yeah, really sounds want... like a cool guy, yeah, right? Yeah, he's a cool guy. I really want to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk a lot about the future and future leadership today. Yes. But I always like to start with some simple questions just for the uh, listeners and the viewers to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So we have some short, hopefully fun questions for you. You may answer short as well. The first thing that I wanted to know is what did you want to become when you were a kid and you were growing up? That's a good question. Um, it was like a really s simple for me. I wanted to become an economist. You wanted to become an economist? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard a kid wanting to become an economist. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I, um, I, I still hadn't given up on the dream and actually that's the reason i'm doing everything i'm doing today so when i, I was born in guinea um in in west africa um, guinea conakry so growing up somehow i don't know it now like hindsight it just seemed weird but i saw like the way the country was managed it just didn't feel right and somehow like every time I would just watch like, you know, like the World Bank, the IMF coming there and saying like, oh, we're giving this loan, this country. I felt like there was something wrong. I just couldn't get it. And then the way the country was managed, I just felt it wasn't done right. And so to me in my head, I, I, at, the, at one point, I actually stopped watching the news and I was like, I just disconnected. Mm -hmm. And then it became clear in my head that I wanted to go outside the country and get the best education and come back and then be at the same table like these people that's coming and then have a discussion with them. And for me, the best way to do that 
was to be, you know, in economies. How do you move a country from a point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And so that was like really clear in my head. And that's where my journey started to like, but yeah, it was completely clear. I wanted to be that and I still want to be that. And so when in your life did you then realize that you are or wanted to be an entrepreneur as well? Uh, yes, is that's a good question. Um, it, I'd probably say the last six years, because when I, like, it was really clear in my head, right? I wanted to be an economist. I went to the U.S. and said, like, yeah, U.S. is like, I want to, it's the best place for, like, capitalist system. So I want to go there and get the, all the education. And so it was like this linear thinking, went in, worked in the banking, and then uh, in the business sector. Yeah, because business. you did work at General Mills in the U.S. Bank, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked at U.S. Bank for a while and then worked with you know, General Mills in India. So at that time, like entrepreneurial was definitely not an option for me. I just wanted to be like a professional and learn all these steps. And um, but at the same time, I was always like in the community building. Maybe we can talk about that later. So I was like always bridging these two aspects of my life, like a community art, but also like the corporate side. So entrepreneurship was never like, who, why, why would you even become an entrepreneur? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Um, but what I realized, like there's a leadership and I'm going into the community and then figuring out how you like, I was like, the more I was learning from, from the corporate space, like all this technical knowledge, leadership, um, strategic building, how you move, like, you know, your company or like your organization from a point here. So I was getting all this knowledge. And every time I come to the to the community space, I see all this gap. I'm like, oh man, they have like this is such a great um, aspiration, but they don't know how to go from that aspiration to make it happen. And but like, there's all these strategic step that this is what I want to go. This is my goal, and this is how I get there. And so you keep seeing this gap. And so like finding that gap in the space is basically like the driving factor between you know behind being an entrepreneur. And so for me, I was like, I was already doing that. Um, so it wasn't until five years ago when we moved to Germany and, and I did my thesis and I got all this like information that I got from like, you know, the African diaspora professional space. And then the you did your thesis because you were studying something. Yes. Yeah. So when we moved to Germany, just like when we moved to Germany, I did my uh, my master in development economics, which is like also related to the reason I left uh, Guinea in the first place. Um, maybe I can detail more on that, but like that, when I had all this information about the African diaspora community and the talent they have, and then so I'm like, oh, there's this gap again. It's not being fulfilled. And so like the best way to solve it is really to do it as an entrepreneur, because you see a gap in the space, you provide the value and uh, you match that value to, to the market. And then you have something that's like really sustainable. And so like that, I'm like, oh, I already been doing this, right? And then um, before that, I've been like, even I created some business, I never considered myself as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I work with my, uh, you know, brothers and then like just doing this, but you just realize by net, you know, like by, um, I just been an entrepreneur the whole time. I seen my parents, even my mom, like being an entrepreneur the whole time. Right? But it just never, um you know, you just never see it that way until like it started being in the space. Like I've been an entrepreneur the whole time. So then your mom was selling things when you were a kid or? When I was, a, when we were growing up, yeah, my mom actually, um, they would encourage us when we were growing up to like, 
um, like when it was hot sometime, like in the, you know, um, summertime. So like, hey, make ice and then go sell it. Um, I saw my mom like uh, having um, a bakery, right? Like uh, a modern bakery at that time, like in the, in, the, in the city we were living, there was like no such concept. And she was like one of the only person to like bring in this modern bakery in the space. So I seen her doing that and then like her going to different cities and then buying, you know, clothes and realizing that clothes was not miss- missing in the market and then just selling it. And I seen her like doing so many things. And we just like watch her doing all that. Um, so, yeah. So you grew up in that in that sense, but at the same time, you grew up seeing them like being leveraging all these resources they have to build a community. And so I, I actually, you know, them more from the community building aspect because like community was the foundation, was like the the, the pillar. That's like, what that's what they did naturally. That's what, or, yeah, that's what they did naturally. They used all the resources they have to like help people around them, to help the village, to help the community, and then build the community, and then just all this create creative way of like moving the community forward. That's what they did their whole life in the store today. You know, in the eighties, seventies, they're still doing it. Um, so that's what I knew them from. And it wasn't until like I reflecting now, I'm like, my mom was doing all these things, like she's still doing them. Like that's that's the essence of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh my God, like my community things come from there. My uh, entrepreneurial spirit come from there. So it's kind of all connected. Like, you know, yeah. And this follows up with the last kind of introduction question, because it seems like you got a lot from the parents. You were also very much driven, it seems. And we're talking about future capabilities today. Like, what do we need in the future? What capability or skill did you have to learn most? Something that was still strange for you in order to get where you are now? Um, what do I do that I had to learn most? Is um I think for me the hardest part was actually connecting these dots. Mm. Right? And still now I'm like really like the more I talk about my story and the more I keep connecting the dot. And I wish there was a way for me to do that earlier and it would have been even, you know, like I would have been better equipped now. And I think that learning that aspect like now is like really the biggest thing because I thought that I uh, I had to learn so much more, not realizing the potential that I already had. It just needed someone to like open that door or like just unlocking that for me. Um, so it's already there. It has always been there. Yeah. Um, so I think like a, that learning process has been the biggest, biggest thing. Yeah, I find that recognizable. I think my background was in academics um, and I always felt like a bad academic because I liked a more journalistic way of portraying things until I realized, but I was much older. Oh, that's actually a good thing. That's who I am. I'm an academic who's really good at storytelling. That's my form. So sometimes it really helps, right, to understand your own story. Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Absolutely. So um, Omec, which resembles very much your name, Kimo, <laughs> is that where the name comes from or does it mean something specific? Um, do you want the long story or the short story? Let's do the short because we have so much to tell about, but if it's a really interesting one, let's go for it. All right, the one. short story is uh, it's a Kimo backward. Uh-huh. Um, and um, the reason 
the story behind it is that, you know, growing up, I always play soccer. I still play soccer. I, I love uh, football, yeah, soccer in the U.S. Um, so growing up playing soccer in Guinea, at that time, like if you're a soccer player young, you have to pick like nickname. Mm. And they have to be like, if you're playing forward, whatever position, your, bet, your favorite player, you just name yourself after that. Uh, it could be like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, whoever's like the top player. And at that point, I was like, no, I don't want to pick any name. Like, I want to, like, come from me. Like, so I don't know how that happened, but I was just like, I'm not picking anybody's name. Like, there's something that you have to be about me. And so I started cutting my names, chemo, and then started like, rearranging the letters. And then, like, somehow it just, like, Omek came. And I'm like, this is perfect. And so everybody called me Omek. So that was my nickname. Yeah. And so when we started creating um, Omek, my wife, who's my co-founder, or, um, and then the brand manager, she started looking for name. And then she came up like Omek. And then she's like, oh, this is perfect. If you look at the Omek itself and then the story behind your name, how you put it together, we all have something within us. We don't need to go outside and then copy it. And so, like, the fact that you reflected it inside you and then to get your name, that's the essence of Omek. And that's yeah. where um, name comes from. So, like, the story kind of match. And it says, I mean, the description of Omek is a professional platform designed to lift the African diaspora. You have to help us a bit. How does that look like in practice? What, what is the goal or the aim or what do you do on a daily basis? Basically, the idea of Omek is... Like I was just telling you my story, right? Um, the biggest things that are happening for me right now is to realize hindsight, like the potential has always been there. It's always been passed through, right? And the only thing like I didn't, I wish I had the opportunity to unlock that like a younger age so I could just maximize that potential. Um, and so that's the same thing with the African diaspora professional, like me living in the U.S., growing up there, going to school there, living there, right? And then coming to Germany, like living there for many years and now in the, in the Netherlands. So like li living in these three continents and I mean, across many countries, this is like I had the opportunity being in this privileged space to like talk to so many talented people of African descent, right? And then the same conversation we have is like this not having the equal access to opportunity so the talent is there and but we're saying we don't have an equal access to opportunity individually these people are like really successful so my point is is like if we are able to come together and then to unlock that um knowledge about our potential and then uh, in addition to that like leverage that unique talent that we all have then we have even bigger opportunity to lift ourselves and then that open the door for more opportunity then we don't need to look at an outsider to like or give that opportunity we can create that opportunity that we already have right and so that's the idea of omec so how do you bring these people together to do that in the most effective way and so speaking of effective way that's where entrepreneurial concept comes in right so you i find this gap and how do you bring the community together and so what is the most real, like, how, do, how does that work? Right now, I feel like we live in this black box. The biggest problem is like for these talented um, professional for African descent who are like individually successful, don't have uh, always access to each other. 
we don't the, the visibility is the biggest problem. So they already made the journey to Europe, for example, but they're and they're doing it right, but they don't have the connections. They don't have a connection. We don't always see each other, right? And even the most of them, like the bicultural, specifically in my target audience, like a lot of them are born here. They're born of like an African family. So then they're Dutch, and then but at the same time they're you know African or they're like Dutch and Suriname is like a people of African descent. So they have this bicultural thing but they still don't have access to each other. And so the idea is like, let's create a space where we remove this black box, right? We have a complete total visibility to each other. So you can find other like-minded anytime, anywhere. Let's solve that, that's the first problem. So once you do that, once you see each other, then you start engaging with each other, you start communicating, you start building trust, now you start collaborating and working together. So that's the idea, let's build a physical space, this idea of niche networking, which is like the, the way forward now, um, digital space to help that and then also a physical space right where you meet somebody online and but you go in this physical space where you can be there with them that will create programming will create you know events co-working like that space where people can gather so bridging this offline and online together um, so that's a that's a business model and once you do the two ten now the third leg um, of this uh, puzzle is you kind of take that community now and then go sit at the table and then collaborate and then partners with like the community around, right? With like brand, organization, institution that can tap into really this. But we have to start with ourselves first. We need to build that space. We need to like uplift ourselves, you know, each other and be like, okay, this is what we can do now. What is it that we can bring to the table, right? What is it that we can do for the city of Amsterdam? What we can, how can we amplify our, our you know, impact, you know, within the space we live in, right? And now who do we need to connect? What are the right relationships do we need to connect uh, with to like help amplify that? Yeah. So basically what you're saying is amplification, um, building a network, collaboration. These are some of the things that you say are really important nowadays, yes. right? In yes. a network society in which we live. Yes. Um, at Hatch, we have defined a set of capabilities yes. that we believe organizations need or individuals need in order to become future-proof, as we call it, in mm. order to kind of thrive in, in modern times. And one of the major themes that we defined, but I'm really curious to hear your thought there, has to do with developing courage, um, which might mean you know to be innovative, to be entrepreneurial in your thinking, but also to be able to engage in really complex conversation or to go away from the pinkwashing and into actually inclusion and diversity. Um, another theme has to do with how can you stay focused uh, and how can you stay creative? What would you say is really the main important capabilities that individuals or companies need in the nearby future? Is it the courage theme? Is it something completely different? What do you think is needed? I think what's what's needed and and then the future really because I think that's the space we are in and then that's a, that's where for me I want Omec um to be it's like that dream space the companies now the the we saw like such a small village now because of the concept of like globalization and you know globalization and technology and so like if you want to have someone in your company, what do you need for them is to really 
be themselves hmm. and then empower them to understand who they are and lacking that concept I was talking to you about, like unlocking that potential that they didn't even realize they have, right? And so that's where when you do that, you build this confidence, right? And so like people that know who they are, what centers them, what make them a whole, like once you have that human side, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter like AI or whatever technology that we have, we are human and the human technology is the most perfect technology, right? Everything else is kind of coming to, you know, like support that. So like if you can figure out, when companies figure out how do you like really make human the best, their best self, then the idea of courage comes in, right? For me to be able to sit here and talk about this topic, I wouldn't be able, definitely wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you seven years ago, even though I was working like one of the biggest company um, in the US, right? Because I still hadn't gotten to the point where I was connecting everything that I didn't know, like I didn't value before in my upbringing, right? I was like busy of busy, fitting in, assimilating, right? I thought that was the way forward. But now I realize, no, like everything that I had, like they make me a whole. I can take that or go in any space and then bring that as something that I'm bringing to the table. So as a company, as an organization, once your people, you are able to like put people in that space, then you give them this courage. You give them this confidence to say like, it doesn't matter how small that is. I don't have to be the brightest person in the room. What I have is special as a human being. This is what I'm bringing to the table. And I don't have this. You have that. I want to learn that from you. But this, you don't have what I have. This is what I'm bringing to the table. Just no matter how big or small is that. So that's the concept. Yeah, and it's a very different way of thinking than usually if we would have a job interview and I'm the one holding the job and you want to have the job, then I will ask you, like, how do you fit in this company? But you basically say, no, what do I have to offer to the company, for example, as an individual? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Um, I remember that the, the, last, the last company I was working at, um, some of the inter- was at the interview and then they were asking me, why are you coming here? And I was like, I, I have something to offer. This is like my value is more I want to work in the company where human it's like a human centers company. Like you value human relationship because if that's the space that, you know, um, environment is there, I know what I can bring to the table as, as a human being. I can make other people better around me. This is my, this is my skill. I have this personal human, you know, like a skill. Like I don't care if you're a CEO or like if a janitor, it doesn't matter. We are human beings. So if I can connect with you on that level, we all only become better. So that's for me, I'm like, this is what I'm bringing to the table. The expertise, I can learn that. Just bring your big company. You have all the resources, bring the expert. You can teach me that, all that stuff. But like that human space, you can't. This is for me, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, we, we talk a lot to HR managers nowadays and, you know, building a culture, building an inclusive culture at work is getting a lot of attention. But people 
don't always seem to know how to do that. So they talk about it. Perhaps they have nice posters on the walls, like we're an inclusive company. What do you think they can learn from, what have you learned, perhaps from your parents or from your own experiences? How do you really build an organization or a culture or a community? Yeah, um, that's a good question. <laughs> It's a deep question. How do you, where do you go from there? Let's start with the diversity inclusion concept right yeah. now. It's for me, the way I, I describe the idea of diversity inclusion right now is a bandaid. Right? The problem is a so, yeah, yeah, the problem is so bad. Like put a bandaid and then let's stop bleeding. The yeah. bleeding, right? Doesn't mean that's a solution. It doesn't mean that need to be there. It's like for now, and that's what's been for the past. 20 years, depending what, what part, you know, like, you know, in the U.S. it's been there for like now a little while. And then like, I feel like in Europe, like they're picking up on some part. Um, but it's not, it was just supposed to stop the bleeding until we find the real solution. What I mean by that is at the end of the day, we were, as a human, we are social creature, Right. What that means is that we need each other. We need to socialize. We need to like respect each other. We need to understand each other. We need to value each other. We cannot live without each other. That's built in our system. If we don't, if you didn't believe in that, I think one of the silver line about um, this coronavirus is that like we cannot live without, you know, social distancing. It's just like the economy is going down. Anyway, coming back to your point, Now, what people like to to look at it in the sustainable way of going forward after like as a solution moving away from the bandit as a solution is like we need to start figuring out how do you unlock that human potential how do you what does that mean if I want to bring chemo to my company, I'm not looking only at his hard skill, right? I'm now only looking at him like, oh, he has an experience of doing this, have this expertise and he can come in and get the job done like right away. But that's great. As a human being, what is it that he's going to bring to the table? And what is the environment that we're creating to make sure when he comes in, he flourishes, right? And then if you can create that environment and you bridge that soft skill, you create a really appropriate environment for that soft skill, that human side of him to like flourish. The technical side is already there. He's only gonna like maximize that. And so what companies, organizations need to do now, like how do you do that? What are the different ways to do that? And then because we have been riding with the, the band, the, like this, preventive or um, diversity and inclusion thing, people are having put in the time, the hard work to like figure that out, right? I'll give you an example. I, um, again, the last company I was working for, they have like, they had the ERG thing. That's kind of an example, employee resource group, mm -hmm. right? Um, if someone come into your company and then they say the minority, right? You know, like a black um, employee comes in there and then they find within that company, there's like other um, employee group that are like them mm -hmm. and then they can belong to that group. It kind of creates something like where they can go in this safe space to have this conversation, right? Mm -hmm. um, so whether that's within your company or outside your company, 
as a human being, we all need that safe space, whether we get in that in our family, in a group of friends, or like a social club. But there's always like we need that space where you can talk to someone, you can feel at home, you can feel like sense of belonging. And so like this HR need to figure out first, where do we find those kind of space? If we don't have it within our company, is there external space where they can how like is the employee connected in like in this space to make sure like we unlock in this thing are the people where they're talking to like to make sure we unlock in this like really human potential of them and so people having done like a lot of this work so that's like how do you find these places this tool these resources to make sure like really you focusing on unlocking that human capacity that soft skill of them because the technical skill you can teach that yeah, and I think you're touching on a very important uh, point there as well, because I'm always a bit confused nowadays with this, you know, hard skill versus soft skill, because it almost seems like soft skill is less important. But if you look at the future and all the predictions of, of my colleagues and ourselves at Hatch as well, you'll see that most of the hard skills can be taken over by algorithms, yes. but the soft skills, no. So we have to cherish that, right? Yeah, it's totally the the re, the reversal that's happening now. Um, and then the companies, the quicker they figure that out, the 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 faster they will find themselves like accumulating this competitive advantage. Like now, like I say, like when I was a manager, this was my strategy. I always believed that. I have the resources, I have the system that I build. Like if I bring somebody in, I can like put you within that system and you will learn. Like there's a mechanism, you just go into the, in the process and you learn. So like that's easy part. I can have anybody um, come in, here's the things that you need to follow and you just follow that, make, it's a mechanic and then you learn that hard skill part. But the soft skill, that's the thing I can. Like your personality, that's, it, that's the hardest part, right? And the companies has been so focused on the numbers. And then so like for people to produce this number is like you need to have that hard skill. We don't care if you're a human being and that human being side kind of like got pushed on the side. I just want you to like produce this number. I want to hit this goal. We want to grow. We want to do all this. Right. And now people are realizing that it's not only that. It's not only the number. Right. And that's one. And two. Yes, you can have this number. The best way actually now to have this number is like those people that you've been put on the side, you can actually get more out of them if you focus, if you see them as a human being. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, that number that you want, it can exponentially grow. So it's not one or the other. It's actually complementary. Yeah. And so the soft skill become now even more important um, than the, the hard skill because you can teach the hard skill or you can invest in AI to do most of this stuff. Yeah. But you can, you can, it's harder to keep, you know, keep this in the soft skill. Yeah. And it, this reminds me of, um, a friend anthropologist of mine once said that she was working with Moroccan Dutch youth. Um, and some of them were very insecure when they would do job interviews about their Dutch language because they had an accent. Yeah. And then they had a talk about that they actually speak Dutch with an accent, but also French and Arabic, which is really a pro. You know, most Dutch pe people don't speak that. So 
it was a matter of becoming aware of what they already had, yeah. which you were saying as well. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. Um, again, when I was working in the corporate, I remember one of our VP, <laughs> one time we were in the meeting. Um, What's he, a VP? Um, vice president. Ah, see, this is the corporate language. Yeah, the corporate, sorry. <laughs> so one of our vice president came in and then we were having this meeting. And then he said he was so amazed. I think he traveled outside the U.S. and went to, I don't know, like one of the South American countries. I don't know if it was Brazil or anything. And then he was so amazed how there the employees could like alternate between Portuguese and English. And then he's like, my brain doesn't understand. Like I only speak English, so I don't know how you go between them. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I can do six languages in my sleep that way back and forth without a problem and then you are a vice president and you think that's so amazing so you're good at what you do but i have something that you don't and you feel like you know and so like that part usually like i was saying like when you when these people um comes in in different country and then they're like being taught to assimilate for you to succeed you need to learn dutch you need to be your Dutch need to be so perfect. Your French need to be so perfect. You need to assimilate, but you bring in something that's so important that you can teach the Dutch people. So you're learning from them and they're learning from you. And collectively, you both like are better than where you started before you met. Yeah. And so that courage again comes in play. Yeah, I love that tip. And I think the same probably goes if I listen well to you. For companies, like, so a manager shouldn't ask, like, um, so in which ways do you fit this and this value of our company, but probably what do you bring in? Yeah. Would that be a good advice? Absolutely. Um, what do you bring in? But like, there's a different way of asking that. Like, maybe you do your homework first, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think, do your homework. Who are you bringing in? Like, if you, if you let's say you find Kimo, you want to bring him to your company and just look at his background. You can find some stuff about him. Um, like especially focus more on those soft skill. How can that bring more to your, to your company? What are to the your gap team. to yeah. your team? Like if I do speak five languages or six languages, right? How some of these languages matches or like a people in my team, like how like the culture, different culture that I've lived in, how can I bring that? Like these are like big thing like especially every company is now it's a global right how can i so like let's focus more on that and within the company you know putting the system together to like give me the best training the best tool the best resources to make my uh, technical skill my hard skill part that shouldn't be but like focus more on the soft skill right and then have a conversation with me around that and then like show me that how much like you appreciate that and and so like you can see in this conversation that we have, you start unlocking that thing that I didn't even think value. But if I see you interview me and then like really impressed by some of this skill, then you start bringing that confidence. It's like human psychology, right? Yeah. And so I think HR need to start focusing more on that mm -hmm. space. And but they also need to start going, where do you find these people? Right. And so look outside of the network. Oh perhaps. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a way forward. You can't just, it, it, yeah. I think we can talk more about that. Like because that's for Omec, that's the space. Like this niche networking. Um, 
maybe we need to do that now because otherwise the time is up. So I think, you know, if people are listening to this and they're like, okay, so I find myself, because this is a common problem, you know, you'll have Western European or US companies and they want to, they like the idea of becoming more inclusive or diverse, but then they find like, yeah, but all the people I see that are capable for this job, they happen to look just like we do. So how do people learn to look outside their own bubble? Because it's such a big trap, I find, for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but like I think two weeks ago, or it was the last week, um, one of the, C the CEO of like West Fargo, which is like one of the largest banks in the US, made the same comment, like, we don't know where to find, you know, diverse talent. And it's a very common comment, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's the conversation. People give him, you know, like, but that's what everybody says. That's the thing. Um, and we're doing this, like, a talent program where we feature young talent on our platform. And I was speaking to one of these um, girls. She said the past three weeks, uh, three months, she, two months, she has uh, sent over 90 applications. And they all end up in this, uh, we call uh, the resume graveyard. And so, like a lot of these people go into the traditional way of, you know, submitting an application based on their name, based on whatever criteria, it just doesn't go. And so now what we're doing is to create this niche space where they can find, come in, we can find each other and support each other. Um, because there's a lot of individuals within the community who are already in this space. So we're going to ask them, like, how are you contributing to the community? So the idea of a community uplifting each other, take this person's resume, talk to them, coach them, mentor them, give them that confidence and lack that potential because we do know they have that potential. I know I was there a few years ago, and now I'm going to start opening that door. I'm going to start showing her how much value she has. And she is the future of work, of a global workforce, and then we're going to start training them. Right. So now she's moving away from traditional graveyard application system and coming to Omec where we're creating this space that foster, that help them grow, that help each other, uplift each other and grow. Right. Whether that is someone is an entrepreneur can tap into these people and we can do that. And so now if you're a global company, you want a real solution, then you need to come and find network like us there's a lot of network like that and that's happening now and it's perhaps we can share both your network and a couple of other tips in the show notes show notes for if people are really interested yeah yeah um yeah so yeah if you want to find us my the the company is omec so you yeah. can go myomec.com um, so you can you know just find uh, the services that we, we we provide right now we're building yeah. um the platform we're growing so this will be like a great moment to like really be part of like a, a vibrant community that's growing. Um, if you international, or global, or even local companies that's out there, you want to figure out how to move forward. This is the solution. Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of niche companies now, like especially like focus on minority, like a, whether it's a sector specific, like mm -hmm. Afro tech. Um, so in the tech sector and the health sector, healthcare entrepreneurs. So like there's all these niche networking space that you need to like go and then connect with them and then start building that relationship i think that's the way forward yeah yeah you can always you've been tapping into linkedin and then this bigger platform you can keep doing that but also you need to go out and connect and figure out how you find this network you'll be surprised like the 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 depth 
um, of talent that sit there that's like completely giving up on the traditional path of finding a job. Yeah, I think this is really valuable information. Can I ask you as a last question, because I think yeah. we have to finish. Yes. What is your hope for the future of work? How do you emphasize the nearby future in an ideal and perhaps reachable way? Put people in the position, decision-making position that gets the idea of what diversity inclusion really mean, mm. what and lacking the power, the potential of employees. Put the people there because from my experience, I'm like having a conversation with a lot of these like multinational companies as a partner. It's much easier if you have a director, senior, a decision maker like that understand this concept. Mm -hmm. Imagine if it was me, I'm working for the corporate and I'm, the way I'm thinking right now, the way I understand this concept, and if you put me at the decision making, I am definitely like no one is going to come and explain to me. This is what I live. This is what I understand. This is what. So if you put in the right set of people for the companies, I think that's the first thing, the right solution, put them there so they can make the right decision. And you'll naturally reach into your own network. Yes. Yes. So it's become much easier. I don't need someone to come in and tell me like this is the power of who I am. Right. Yeah. So that is for company. That is the main solution. So they don't have to fight it and then they don't understand and we don't have to go in and spend two or three or four hours why this is important. I think we pass the why it's important. Yeah, we know heterogeneity yes. is more resilient yes. right now. And I think that's from the company side. Yeah. And but it's the two side. I think from the other side, um, from the community side, they also need to figure out that how they work together to maximize their potential, how they work together to say this is what we can bring to the table. Collectively, that is a solution for them. Collectively, they're powerful, right? Individually, they're not, they don't exist. For, so for, I think both sides need to like really have the work done. Organization, companies um, need to do their part. They really need, if, you, if a lot of them still don't get it and then they feel like they can ride away if they want to do that, fine. But companies that really believe in this and want to, um, first of all, start putting people in the position, the right position, decision-making position, people that really understand and get and feel and are part of this, um, this problem and they can solve it, then everything becomes easier from there. Yeah. But outside, I think like, yeah, the minority and, and the diverse community need to start coming together, need to start uplifting each other, need to start sharing these unique talents, little resources that they have collectively become bigger. And then, then it, it gives them more voice to have a seat at the table. And if they don't have the seat at the table, then they can create their own table. And then they can invite other people to their own table. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your scenario of the future. <laughs> um, I share the same. So, so thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening or watching to this episode of the Unmachine podcast. And if you found this story inspiring, which I am pretty sure most people will, please then share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going because we really need more future-proof companies, I think, at this moment. Um, you'd also make us really, really happy if you leave a nice review on iTunes, because that makes it so much easier for other listeners uh, to find us. See you next time.